If you combine the psychographic data with AI, that's where I think it's going to be really scary. Our guest today is Joseph Rahm, an American author, blogger, editor, physicist, who advocates on reducing greenhouse gas emissions to limit global warming and increasing energy security through energy efficiency, green energy technologies, and green transportation technologies. He is a fellow of the American Association for the Advancement of Science and uh, has been called the web's most influential climate change blogger. He's also founding editor-in-chief of progressive news aggregator Front Page Live, senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. I'm not, I'm and, not actually not at, I, I'm not at the Center for American Progress uh, as of uh, um, a year ago. So we'll take that over then. He is the founding editor-in-chief of progressive news aggregator Front Page Live, and was chief science advisor for the Emmy award-winning documentary series, Years of Living Dangerously. He served as acting assistant secretary of the US Department of Energy and has published several books on global warming and energy technology. And I am grateful to have him with us today. Joe, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me, Eric. So there's a lot I wanna talk about, but let's just uh, get started right off the bat with, uh, you know, the, uh, I think the elephant in the room question for those who don't know you. And that question is, you know, you have a PhD in physics from MIT. What are you doing in communications? Shouldn't you be like, you know, solving equations and figuring out this sort of what the universe is all about? Wow, this is a long story. Uh, the, the short answer, well, the medium <laughs> answer is, you know, my parents are, were writers, and um, so I, I have that in me, but I also saw, my, my father was a newspaper editor, my mother was a freelancer, I saw that they weren't terribly well paid back in the, in the 60s and 70s, and I was like, I should have a, an occupation or a skill, <laughs> you know, and so, and my uncle is a great physicist, so he's the one who inspired me to go into physics. Physics and writing have have two things have one thing in common, which is it's about explaining stuff. And, and so my mother, my, both my parents were just great explainers using words. And so I ended up, you know, getting a PhD in physics, but um, I was always interested in public policy. So um, I did a congressional science fellowship and um, ended up working at the department of energy, uh, on energy technology and uh, ultimately running the Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy, which which is a billion dollar program of all types of clean technology from green buildings to, you know, batteries, photovoltaics, wind, geothermal, biomass, you know, you name it. And, um, and what got me into communication was that uh, back into communications or, or at least the, the family side, the, is, is that my um, uh, brother lost his home in Hurricane Katrina. Uh, that was August 29, 2005. And he, it's a big deal losing your home. And, and, and he asked me if he should rebuild his home. And that's when I started talking to climate scientists. 
and reading the literature and attending seminars. And that's when I realized two things. One is the climate situation was more dire than I thought. And secondly, climate scientists were not doing a good job of communicating. And so because I had the communications in my blood and background and had been writing, you know, I decided to stop consulting with companies on clean energy and be a full-time communicator. And I launched the blog at the Center for American Progress, uh, Climate Progress, and did that for 13 and a half years. And that's, that's how I got to be a communicator. I just, the urgency and my feeling that I could actually better contribute on the communication side than, than you know, uh, uh, doing the tech side where there's a lot of brilliant people doing a lot of great work. So, you know, given your experience uh, coming out of uh, physics and then going into communications and working for government in an area that has been, you know, a hot area from a partisan standpoint, yep. uh, you know, obviously, you know, energy has become a partisan issue in this country. And, uh, you know, we have seen fossil fuel interests wage a war against science and, and sort of weaponize social media uh, in a sort of a the war of anti-science. Yeah. And what, I, what I'm hoping we can do today is talk a little bit about your experiences with that specifically. Sure. Because I, I have to think that, you know, you go into somewhere like the Department of Energy, I mean, I've got to think that that really is a, a you know, a, a snake pit when it comes to different people jockeying for position, trying to get promotions, uh, some people backed by special interests, some people not. So here you come out of this sort of utopian MIT world of physics where you're dreaming about big ideas and it's not really about politics and you land in this, you know, in this hornet's nest. So talk to me a little bit about sort of the education around, you know, political communications and what you learned, what, what, what were the roadblocks in your way and how did you move past them? Well, you know, the Department of Energy, uh, five years of the Department of Energy was certainly an eye-opening experience. It is a massive agency of which energy technology is only about a quarter of it, right? It runs all the national labs in the country. So Stanford Linear Accelerator, Fermi Lab, Sandia National Lab, uh, 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 Oak Ridge, you know, all these famous names, Lawrence Livermore. Uh, so it's very heavy in scientists. It's got the highest ratio, in fact, of, of PhDs, I think, of any agency. And more than more than NASA or NOAA? Uh, well, uh, excuse me, I'm not agency, you're right. Uh, department, right, the Department of Energy. Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, some of the agencies do have a higher uh, percentage of people who are PhDs. Um, and it was, uh, it, I was coming in, this was the Clinton administration, so they were coming in uh, after 12 years of Reagan and Bush, and so they were really turning the spigot on clean energy. And uh, so that was a very interesting time. Sure, there were some political battles. I wouldn't, I, I, I enjoyed my time at the department. It's, it's uh, you know, government is a big bureaucracy, but if you're there long enough, you learn how it works and you can help, you know, tweak the lever arms. And, and I got a lot of experience communicating. Because that's, you know, they, I, I did a lot of speaking. So that's where I really, uh, and in fact, the Secretary of Energy, Hazel O'Leary, 
she so much believed in communications that she got gave training. She set up a training for all of her senior staff in communications. And this was one of those things where they videotaped you. So it's if you've never done that, if you want to be a public speaker, you have to go, you know, I strongly recommend doing that, getting someone to video you and give you the feedback because you don't know what you look like and you, you know, you don't know what you sound like. And, and uh, I had to learn to smile more. <laughs> that was, that was a, a um, you know, a very big thing because, you know, climate is a serious matter, right? You, and, and physics, you know, is a serious matter. And, and yet, you know, uh, we, you know, you got to be human. And, and, and so I had a lot to learn about, about effective communications. And, and, you know, from my book, how to go viral and reach millions that I spent a long, I had to unlearn the stuff that I learned getting a PhD in physics, right? That's what you learn getting a PhD in physics is how to communicate with other scientists, right? Facts, charts, numbers, graphs, logic, um, but guess what? You know, I, I think the events of the last four years show that, that, that that's not what persuades people. And so I, I learned, over, you know, I started studying um, <clears throat> what do the great communicators do? What, what do the great speech makers do? Um, what are the most effective ways to communicate? I studied social science. I studied the great speeches, you know, and that's where I learned this is all it's all about storytelling. You know, don't have to cut to the chase. I'm sure you've had many conversations with people about that. But at the end of the day, you know, people need a story to hang on to their ideas. The story is basically the Christmas tree and the 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 individual facts or things. They're they're the ornaments. But if, if you don't have a tree and you just try to give people the ornaments, you know, they just come crashing to the ground. It's it's not it's not the way we think. We think in story terms. Joe, uh, when you were um, at uh, the Department of Energy uh, during the Clinton administration, that's kind of pre-mainstream social media. I mean, social yeah. media was around, but it wasn't really as much of a force in terms of um, you know delivering news and information to people as it is today. Uh, globally. And so, of course, you know, you've sort of grown up with that. And now, as editor-in-chief of uh, Front Page Live, you know, you're right in the center of that, yeah. online communications. Um, so, uh, tell us a little bit about sort of, front, what is Front Page Live uh, and why did you launch it? Well, <clears throat> after the 2016 election, I tried to understand what happened. You know, what, why, why was the outcome so different what, from what I thought and others thought? And that's when I realized, yes, that there had been this revolution in social media and that people were making content go viral that wasn't factual. And the Russians had a hand in it and the Trump campaign had a hand in it and some of the, you know, right wing media sites had a hand in it. And, and they were viralizing all of this disinformation on climate change. And I realized that um, I, what, what the progressives didn't have was enough things that would viral, help uh, progressive uh, you know, uh, analysis go viral. And, and I hate to call it progressive. I hate to call climate science progressive. Clearly, the, this country has gotten very polarized so that even medical science in 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 concerning covid is 
polarized and climate science is polarized. But the reality is, you know, as an MIT trained physicist, what which I try to do on the climate front is just explain the science, um, explain who uh, the solutions uh, and, and discuss who is trying to help, you know, avoid the worst case scenario and who is, uh, you know, uh, trying to spread disinformation and block action. So, I wanted to launch, ended up wanting to launch my own site is what happened. And, and this happened about the same time uh, that the Center for American Progress was was shutting down its Think Progress and Climate Progress website. Um, so spent the last 18 months, you know, focused on 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 this and and doing some uh, climate communications projects with some partners, did one with Earth Day Network, did another one with the Potential Energy Coalition, where we're getting factual climate information to various groups of people. And, but putting it, you know, it, uh, understanding it's got to be in story form and, and, and it, you have to use the techniques of engaging people while you're telling them, you know, these truthful stories, because that's really the only way to combat the, the, the disinformation. So, so, Joe, seeing as how you are editor-in-chief of a website that is trying to counterbalance, uh, you know, a steady stream of lies and essentially smears from fossil fuel interests, plutocrats, petrostate actors, have you ever been on the receiving end of any sort of smear campaign yourself? Oh, yes. Uh, and, you know, uh, absolutely. Look, what uh, you spoke to Michael Mann, I know. So you, you, uh, I, I never received the, co- the kind of, you know, sustained high level vilification that, that, that he did. But I will say this. And, you know, as he has said, any anyone who sticks their head out on climate change and becomes a, a effective communicator, whether they're a scientist or in my case, I mean, I am a scientist, but in this case, you know, I was I was more on the clean energy solution side. Um, they're going to be a target. So the, the answer to the question is, yes, you you can you know, someday my daughter will Google you know, my name and she'll, you know, she's going to see a lot of, you know, mean things, you know, written about me. There's no escape from that because, you know, the fossil fuel industry um, is, you know, gets hundreds of billions of dollars a year in income in this country from its product. So the reality is we have to get off of their product over the next few decades. So they have been spending huge sums of money to block, to confuse the issue, to create doubt using the, the, the model that the tobacco industry did. That was the famous memo of Philip Morris describing their strategy their, was doubt is our product. They want to create doubt. You know, this is asymmetric warfare in information because the people who want change Right. We have to persuade people to do stuff differently than they're doing it now. Right. That's a much heavier lift than trying to persuade you. There's enough doubt that you don't really have to worry about it. You don't have to do something now. Just keep doing what you're doing. You know, that's been the challenge there. So, yes, I have been targeted uh, for sure. 
uh, whether it's the you know just just nasty emails, but also articles and and smear campaigns by by the fossil fuel industry. No, nothing like what what Dr. Mann has has undergone, and he's been a real a pioneer and and champion and 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 a man who deserves a lot of credit for what he's accomplished. Yeah, if you haven't uh, downloaded the episode on Michael Mann. Uh, you can do that on the show blog. So check that out. That's uh, a fantastic interview. Um, Joe, have you ever been doxxed? Um, well, um, no, I haven't. Uh, I don't. Uh, the, the people, I mean, I was never, I was a, once I became a, a blogger, I was relatively a public figure. I wasn't hiding anything, so it wasn't very hard to find me. Um, the, the, what, what the people out there who were doing the doxing really were, were publishing the phone numbers and emails and sometimes the home address of scientists. That's who they were trying to intimidate. Uh, that's who they were trying to intimidate. And, and, um, that, you know, look, uh, and, and that worked for some scientists because, look, understandably, I went to MIT. So I, I you know, I was a nerd before before Bill Gates and 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 uh, uh, Steve Jobs made it cool. You know, I was more in the uh, very much like, you know, the Big Bang Theory. Um, I, I just have to know, did you have a pocket protector? Uh, I uh, I didn't have a pocket protector, okay. but I I I did know people who did. Yes, I did okay. know people. I did it. Who Just did? Want to make sure I covered that. Um, you know, were were my clothes not you know uh, uh, Pierre Cardin? Yes, they were not. You did Pierre have a Cardin. slide rule. The, we were just moving in the era from slide rules. But yes, I did actually learn how to use a slide rule um, and live through the time when that was replaced. Um, interestingly, you may, the internet was developed uh, in part through people who were at MIT. So even though I was there in, the, in, in 1978 to 82 and then to 87, they had email. So we did have email before other people simply, uh, uh, you know, on the, uh, uh, the precursor to the internet. But yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, uh, was, was, uh, yeah, I, I learned that, uh, you know, people who go study science and engineering, they don't tend to be the greatest public communicators. Cause if you're good at public speaking, if you're good at dealing with people, that's not generally the type of person who goes into science and engineering, right? The science and engineering types are the people who are good with numbers, facts, figures, and, and uh, you know, I don't want to say that the Big Bang Theory is entirely correct. You know, it's obviously an exaggeration. But, yeah, we're talking about people who aren't great at communicating, and it took me a long time, you know, to, to uh, you know, become, uh, you know, understand how I should communicate and then you know, put that into practice. Joe, um, when you started blogging about climate change and you sort of put yourself out there as a person who was going to counterbalance misinformation being spread by the fossil fuel industry, was your blog ever hacked? Uh, was there any problem with respect to security or, or um, you know, problems with the blog? No, we, 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 uh, 
the, the Center for American Progress had some first rate security people. I mean, you know, and 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 uh, I ended up talking to them, you know, to, about this very question. And, and yeah, they're dealing with attacks all the time and and fending them off. Um, you know, I think at one point the entire website Think Progress may have, you know, gone down sh- uh, for a brief period of time. But um, you know, we're we're not, uh, you know, a progressive website on climate change is not your high value target, uh, really, compared to uh, you know where where the people who did the you know the the infamous two thousand nine climate gate uh, hack did and and some subsequent hacks. So, but I do know websites that were. Earlier today, I was on my iPad and I got a notification that President Biden was gonna give a briefing on Facebook. So I popped into the briefing and he was giving his briefing and I looked at the comment string underneath and you know, just the hatred, I mean, yeah. you know, the vitriol is just it palpable. And if you click on any of, like, some of the people that are saying it and you go to their profiles, it almost looks like they're not real people. I mean, it almost, it, I don't know for sure, but to me, I, I look at what they're saying and I look at the site and I look at how many friends they have and I think, you know what, this just doesn't add up. Uh, what's going on there? Is that like, do you know anything about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I noticed that, let me just say also just to on, on, the, on the Trump side, I remember it was the same thing with Trump too. You know, it was like, you know, they have all these guys who would say, Oh, great. Add a boy, add a boy. And you'd look at it and you would think well, this isn't real. And in that movie, um, about, uh, Fox, uh, with uh, 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 Cameron Crowe, um, you know, it shows how, how Fox was setting up these uh, sort of troll farms in their office to, to dox people and that type of thing. Have you any, do you have any visibility into that world you can share with us? Sure, yeah, and I, I wrote about that in, in How to Go Viral and Reach Millions. The, when this really came to fore in the 2016 campaign, um, and, you know, in other countries it had been going on earlier, including the Brexit and all this. But yes, the, the Russians, you know, the Russians had a whole troll farm, the Internet Research Agency. You can Google it. It was in uh, the uh, Mueller report. The Mueller, you know, the Mueller report uh, spells out in great detail everything that the Russians did to create um, uh, fake Facebook accounts, fake Twitter accounts, bots, bots who could quickly, you know, boost a post, you know, and that's, as you may know, that's how engagement is determined, right? If a lot of people like a post, then more people are going to see it. And if a lot of people don't, so they were gaming the system very effectively. The, the, according to a Washington Post piece, uh, you know, there were about a thousand people in the internet research agency in St. Petersburg and a large chunk of them had as part of their job requirement to do a hundred comments a day. So, and, and I, you know, this is, the commenters aren't all Russian, you know, that you, you can Google articles of this guy, you know, sitting in his basement in the United States, who's got, you know, two dozen Twitter accounts, uh, 
and he wakes up first thing in the morning, boom, 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 boom. And yeah, they're, they're very good at it. And, and, and it is often the case on a climate post or a clean energy post that the first comment, you know, and the first few comments are often quite nasty or negative or spreading disinformation. And that's because they're, they got all these alerts. So they know the instant stuff gets posted and then boom, and, and it may even be automated these days because you can, you can as I'm sure you know in the, from the business world, you can automate a whole lot of stuff now uh, in terms of online posting. So, you know, it's really, really and, and a lot of it is a lot of fake accounts. I know Facebook and Twitter have cracked down, but the fact is that, that you know, given the staggering number of Facebook accounts and Twitter accounts that keep coming in, um, it's it's very hard to police. You know, as I was preparing for our discussion today, I did a little searching and I actually found a website called Black Hat World, where there are all different sorts of categories and one is social media. And you can go on there and you can hire some of these firms who charge you by the number of likes or comments that they'll post. So it seems like, I guess, under, you know, behind the scenes on social media, there are these sort of forces that are working to sort of gain the system and, uh, you know, get reached by through engagement, but, but it's not real engagement. Um, isn't this something that uh, the social network should be able to recognize or no? Um, well, they've certainly liked the engagement, you know, what, what, what is Facebook goal? It's, it's to keep you on the app, right? That's, that's its goal. It wants you to spend as much time on the app as possible. And that's why uh, conservatives see conservative stuff and liberals see liberal stuff and moderates see moderate stuff. And they've created these echo chambers and Facebook in particular has just not really policed misinformation at all. Uh, you know, literally, Zuckerberg uh, only last year said that they would block uh, from posting people from posting Holocaust denial. Um, why? Because his view was let everyone post stuff and then we'll have fact checkers fact check it and then we'll tweak. And, and, and if, if, if it's fact checked negatively, then we'll tweak our algorithm so that post doesn't get seen by a lot of people. But it's too late, you know, the cat yeah. gets out of the bag. And so, uh, yeah, the, 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 the problem is the business model of Facebook is at odds with trying to suppress, uh, uh, you know, misinformation and, and there's no getting around that fact. So, you know, it's, 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 um, it, you know, it is, a, it is, the, one of the biggest problems, obviously, that, that, that our country faces, and I think the end result was visible uh, on January 6th. You know, that was, that was the culmination of all of, of the echo chamber of misinformation and disinformation. Uh, uh, Professor Emeritus from Harvard Business School, Shoshana Zuboff, uh, wrote in the uh, New York Times an essay uh, titled uh, The Knowledge Coup. And uh, what she argued was that, um, you know, if, you, if you're focusing on fact-checking and moderating communities, you're focused too far downstream. Yep. And that really the only way to handle this is to look at data collection. And she actually argues that just as it's illegal to harvest our organs, our kidneys, and sell them 
you know, online, um, that our hopes, dreams, fears, dreams, and, and preferences are our inalienable rights. And we should not, they should not be allowed to separate them from us. And then in fact, that is the problem, the sort of harvesting of personal information and then selling it to these, you know, advertisers who can use it to manipulate us. Well, sure. And, and ultimately that was what Cambridge Analytica did infamously uh, 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 first to try to, you know, I, I believe they were involved in, 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 in the Brexit campaign, but most infamously working for the Trump campaign. Yes, they, they created that they, they ripped off profiles from Facebook using a, a game. I think it was a gaming app. Right. It was and, a, some sort of a, of a, a, um, a survey, right? A survey, classic thing. And people didn't realize by filling out the survey, they were opening them and their friends' profiles up. And then they created psychographic profiles of people, and those were used to target them with voter suppression efforts. It's not, it's not even a big secret, right? They were trying to go after, uh, for instance, black voters who were occasional voters and bombard them with anti-Clinton stuff to just try to persuade them not to vote. And but it seems like it seems like Cambridge Analytica is a red herring because that's the business model of all of these companies of 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 Google and of Twitter and yeah. of, and of and of Facebook and of even Amazon. You know anybody who's allowing you to display ads against psychographic profiles is in that business, and so they were an easy target because they were doing voter suppression and it was involved with the federal election. But I mean, this is happening daily with yep. pretty much all companies that by social media ads. It's absolutely true, you know, um, and and the, the one thing the science fiction writers couldn't imagine, George Orwell, 1984, you know, he thought you would need this massive state to be observing you all the time, right? And he never, it never crossed his mind that people would simply check boxes on terms of service so they could use their app. You know, we don't read those, right? And we signed away We've signed away all of our data and, and we've willingly given up all of our privacy. And the ramifications of that doesn't occur to us until something bad happens. But yes, everybody is profiled and everybody sees ads. We all know those ads that follow us around the internet, you know. And by the way, that's not even the state of the art because the state of the art is moving to artificial intelligence. And that's the, the artificial intelligence, if you, if you combine the psychographic data with AI, that's where I think it's going to be really scary because then you're talking about truly personalized ads. You know, um, it's one thing if I, you know, click on, oh, I want to buy uh, some, you know, uh, some powdered ginger on Amazon. And then the next the next time I go to another website, I see a powdered ginger ad. Okay, that's really, really basic stuff. The, the next level stuff is where I'm using the psychographic data and AI to sort of predict what it is that you want next and what is the best wording and, you know, what colors do you like? You know, I'm going to design this ad. Hey, your favorite color is blue, but this person's favorite color is green, right? And this person is 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 open to this type of sales pitch because we've seen what sales pitch they've clicked on in the past year, right? So we can we can start to now put together. So does this person want the hard sell? Does this person like a soft sell? Does this person care about this feature or that? You know, so that yeah, we're 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 moving into a a, a very worrisome realm.
Yeah. Uh, despite the mounting evidence, there are still 150 members of Congress, all Republicans, who deny climate change. If that's concerning to you and uh, you'd like to know why that is as a business professional and what you can do about it, download my new strategic communications guide on how to win support for climate action at ericschwartzman.com forward slash climate action. Uh, Joe, I'm reading this book, uh, Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentano. Trick Mirror? Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino. And here's a line from it that just popped out at me. Google's goal of showing people, oh, I'm sorry, Facebook's goal of showing people only what they were interested in seeing resulted within a decade in the effective end of shared civic reality. Uh, I, I agree. And, and um, you know, it wasn't only Facebook, but, but Facebook really did create, um, it created the platform that could be used by anybody. And because they refused, what, what, once Facebook decided to, I talk about this in, in my book, if once Facebook decided to get into the news business, and apparently they did that because Twitter was doing it and they were losing some traffic to Twitter. So they're like, no, we're going to crush them. So they, once they opened up to becoming the biggest news publisher in the world, but absolutely refused to embrace any of the principles of responsibility that your typical major journalistic enterprise has. I mean, we may not be that we may not love the New York, everything in the New York Times or Washington Post, but they do adhere to journalistic standards and they don't consciously print stuff that they think is false. And, and Zuckerberg said, oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not a publisher. I'm just a platform. And so I don't need to f behave like a publisher uh, in, in, in have any standards whatsoever. And that was, that was the, um, you know, let the genie out of the bottle. And, and so, yes, I, I, I do agree with that, with that line. Um, and, and there, are, and, and he couldn't imagine or didn't imagine the, the bad actors like the Russians, you know, who, who, this was a dream for the Russians, right? Because the Russians have known for decades, they couldn't beat us in a military war, right? We, we have the most powerful military in the world. Um, whatever you think of it, it's the most powerful one in the world. And the Russians have strategic objectives. And, and uh, once they realized they could achieve their strategic objectives without having to risk the lives of their soldiers or be in a, be in a shooting war, but be in a cyber war instead, um, then yeah, that was a dream come true of a century's worth of focusing on misinformation, you know, disinformatia, as it's called, and, and stuff, you know, techniques that the Russians perfected as part of, you know, their authoritarian police state uh, and the KGB and, and, and the intelligence agencies were masters of disinformation and false flags and, 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 and general confusion, just, just trying to create so much noise in, in the system that people threw up their hands and said, I don't know what to believe. Because if, if you, you know, if you're an authoritarian leader, that's what you want, right? I, I don't want people to trust any source but me. So I'm going to try to pollute every legit source of information. And unfortunately, you know, Trump, uh, 
uh, and Steve Bannon, formerly a Breitbart, but he was on the board of Cambridge Analytica. Uh, they clearly understood, uh, and I think I think Bannon famously said that you can Google, you know, we're, we're going to flood the zone with bullshit. And that's scary, right? Because right then you don't have a shared reality, and and you it's it, without the shared reality, it's it's not clear that democracy, you know, it's not it, democracy doesn't work without a shared reality, without a shared civic reality, as you say. Um, every year, uh, Edelman, the PR firm, does a study called the Trust Barometer where they reach out to 30,000 people globally, it's a panel, um, of people who are really engaged in media and, and educated, you know, people who are informed and educated. Um, and in the 2021 Edelman Trust Barometer, uh, they say that we're living through a raging infodemic and a pandemic at the same time. And their survey suggests that the Trump administration and the GOP's war against science has culminated in a crisis of confidence that threatens to prolong the coronavirus public health emergency uh, because people are unclear about whether or not it's safe to get vaccinated. And uh, since Trump was not vaccinated himself, uh, you know, the, the um, prospect of getting to 70 or 75%, whatever it is to achieve herd, herd immunity is dampened by this, all this misinformation. And, um, you know, just as you said, and as so many other people have said to me, it's fine for people to disagree about how to respond to the facts. That's what democracy is all about. But what do we do to get everyone on the same page with respect to what the facts are? Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, well, I do. It's a challenge. It's it's certainly one of the reasons I launched Front Page Live. Um, there, there's a very good paper. I'm going to get up and just show it to you because I quote it all the time. Uh, it's uh, see if you can see this. Uh, it's it's called the Fu Russian firehood of false the f firehose of falsehood propaganda model. I have been trying to get those analysts on this podcast forever. So read their names, would you? The two, the two analysts, Christopher Paul and Miriam Matthews. Christopher Paul and Miriam Matthews. If you're listening to this, open invitation. I've been trying to get you through your handlers, but for whatever reason, I've been unsuccessful. But back to back to your point. Well, I will tell you this: on Clubhouse, I I go into rooms where they discuss disinformation, and one of their colleagues was in the room. And so uh, we'll, we'll see, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to connect you. Um, but, you know, they discuss, you know, why this fire to falsehood might work and options to counter it. And, you know, their, their main point, one of the favorite lines, the line that I quote all the time, is you can't defeat the fire hose of falsehood with a squirt gun of truth. So, it, 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 you know, and, and, and if you want to um, uh, be successful, you have to have a 24-7 always-on uh, messaging machine, just like the other side does. There's no, there's no getting around that. So in the early days of social media, we used to talk about the wisdom of the crowd 
and social antibodies. And the argument was, oh, it's okay because people will ferret out misinformation on their own and, uh, and that's how we'll be protected. Why didn't that work? Uh, that was very much doomed to fail. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, the, the, this is all illuminated by the work of Dan Kahneman, who wrote Thinking Fast and Slow, the, the psychologist who won the Nobel Prize in economics for inventing behavioral psychology, excuse me, behavioral economics. And he's basically shown people are not rational actors. I mean, that should be obvious, but uh, the fact is people are incredibly bad at distinguishing the truth from falsehood uh, in areas that they are not personally experienced and trained in, which is most things, right? You, you wouldn't expect 99% of people to be able to figure, you know, um, tell the truth from lies on climate change, right? I mean, you, you have to study that in order to do that. And so we have all these shortcuts that we the humans developed over many tens of thousands of years of evolution uh, because the brain uses like a 25% of the metabolism of the human body. So we have all these shortcuts so we don't have to spend a lot of time thinking. And the biggest shortcut is I'm just going to do what everyone else around me does or I'm going to do what my tribe does. You know, you can imagine in the jungle or in the svelte, the veld, um, if, if you see all of your friends running in one direction, and, and there's sort of a noise in the distance, right? You, you could say, oh, I'm gonna wait until this noise, this thing gets closer and then I know what the danger is, or I could just trust that all of the people in my tribe are doing something right by running that way. So the people who follow the tribe, they escape you know, the leopard or the lion. The person who says, no, I'm, I need to figure this out for myself, they get eaten. So, you know, we, we were very tribal animals. We have a whole lot of shortcuts, mental shortcuts built around being tribal animals. One of which is that, as Kahneman says, uh, numbers don't persuade people, they need a story. So we, we, we're, we are persuaded by stories to come back to that. And, and you know, the, this echo chamber of the right, this, this second, uh, in, dis, the disinformation bubble, it's built around stories, which are sometimes called conspiracy theories, right? What, what else is a conspiracy theory but an elaborate story to explain events that didn't go the way you wanted and then attribute it to nefarious reasons, rather than happenstance or, you know, all, all the reasons that things actually happen. Um, and so we have these elaborate conspiracies, right? And, and, and that led to this, this elaborate conspiracy that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. And we all know the consequences of, of, of the spreading of that lie um, and on January 6th, uh, which echoes even to today. And, and um, you know, is a seminal moment for for America because yeah we're we're teetering on the edge of not having a sustainable democracy. We have you know national security laws that protect what we call critical infrastructure. So uh, you know you can't buy distribution transformers from China because our power grid has to be manufactured here. Um, it's part of protecting our national security. Um, but again, you know, 
social networks are allowed to sort of harvest our desires and build these psychographic dossiers that they sell to advertisers who can use them to then amplify and stir infighting among like-minded people, amplify lies and stir infighting among like-minded people. Do you think the power to control this critical information should be treated like critical infrastructure? Well, um, the, I, the answer is, is yes, um, but it looks like the genie is out of the bottle. Uh, it, it would, we, you, I could imagine a different system launched from the beginning. Uh, the question is right now, uh, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, you would, you would have to pass legislation that, that said that, that um, people own their own data, people controlled their own data. Um, but it would have to be monitored, right? I mean, you know, because it's not like people are stealing our data without us knowing it. We signed away everything. And you might have said, okay, 10 years ago or five years ago, you didn't realize the implications of checking those boxes. Yes, I've read your terms of service. You just let me scroll down the page as quickly as possible so I can get to the part where where I check off and I can do the stuff I want to do on your app, right? But it's it, right now, people are just signing away their data and, and prepared to live with the consequences. And, and um, I don't, uh, could you pass a law stopping Facebook? Yeah, you could. And, and maybe that's what it will take. Uh, is, it, is it possible we could pass such a law? Uh, in in Congress, uh, I don't know. We'll see. I think pr probably there will be some privacy laws in in the in this Congress uh, put on the table. I certainly hope there are. Um, um, but you know, as you know, it's easy to pilfer stuff. I mean, solar winds the 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 big uh, the big penetration of the DoD and and the, the the Russians or somebody, but it was probably the Russians actually managed to build a backdoor into the software, not by breaking into the DOD, but by long before then breaking into the company that everyone uses for, for software, for security software and putting it there. So, you know, uh, I think people have to basically assume that there isn't much privacy anymore and, and act accordingly. Um, that, you know, is all, is all I can say. In his most recent book, The New Climate Wars, Michael Mann writes that as a result of extreme weather incidents, it's getting harder for global warming deniers to say with a straight face that the climate's not changing. And he says now that they're using tactics to divide and deflect people from addressing the real problem which is fossil fuel emissions. Is that what you're seeing as well? And do you have any specific examples you can share? Well, there's no question that, um, that uh, I'll give you one specific example, which I learned during the campaign, this election season, because uh, we were doing a campaign uh, to ed uh, inform and educate uh, uh, voters about climate change and we were doing some of it with uh to latinas and latina moms and we learned that there's a whole disinformation campaign out there 
on climate change just in Spanish targeted at Americans who are the Americans who are, you know, uh, Spanish first speakers. Um, so I think you, you can safely assume that, 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 that there is a very pervasive disinformation effort. And part of it is about uh, jobs. They're trying to scare people into, oh, if you cancel the Keystone XL pipeline or you stop uh, new permits for drilling, that that's going to cost jobs. And then they have these inflated numbers for jobs. And, and yes, they spread that information. And then they, you know, look, you know, the, all the stuff that Trump, Trump is a one-man disinformation machine, you know, saying wind, wind turbines, you know, uh, cause, I don't even want to repeat it, but, you know, just ridiculous statements that, that then get picked up and amplified. Um, and as, you, as um, uh, Dr. Mann said uh, to you, uh, the, the targeting and vilifying of climate activists, trying to find anything that can be brought up to uh, discredit them. Joe, um, it seems like, you know, the only way to counterbalance disinformation is with an organized constituency with special interests backing it, uh, that can play the same game. So, I mean, if you were putting together a force, um, a, a global uh, social uh, coalition um, to promote climate action, um, it seems like, you know, there are deep-pocketed interests who have you know, who want to see this handled. I mean, I, the insurance industry, first responders, uh, you know, medicine. I mean, these are all industries that, you know, real estate, hospitality, these are all industries that are going to pay as a result of climate change. Why has no one sort of created uh, some sort of organization with their backing to counterbalance the misinformation from the fossil fuel industry? Um, well, I think uh, I, I will tell you uh, that, that, you know, progressive donors are very, just generally don't invest in media and communications the way conservative donors do. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a m bunch of reasons why that is, but one of them is they, they are under the misimpression that the media, you know, the, the right wing has said, you know, the, the mainstream media is the liberal media. Uh, but the, the mainstream media is not the liberal media. Uh, it tries to objectively present uh, the facts, but it also bends over backward not to offend conservatives, not to offend people. So, um, you know, there's uh, uh, and, and what's more, they don't they don't engage in the repetition that you need to do in all channels that you see uh, on the right and by the disinformers. You know, I, I will say I'm, you know, that's part of what we're trying to do at Front Page Live and, 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 and you know, we're out fundraising and we're out beating the bushes and, and working on projects. So, um, you know, it's, it's just going to, uh, I, I hope that what, uh, that that there's the if if anything positive can come out of the Trump administration, I hope it is that 
um, progressives and Democrats can't just run their ad campaigns the last three months of a presidential election cycle because it's too late. The other side has already won hearts and minds because they don't stop messaging the day after the election's over. Um, you know, and staggering amount of money, maybe $2 billion were spent by progressives and Democrats in this election cycle. But it's all crammed in the last few months. If you actually spread that around the two year, you know, the, the, the entire time period, because one of the things social science says to us is it is the, the way to defeat disinformation is to inoculate people against it. People have to get the truth contemporaneous in, in real time. If someone's bombarded with lies for a few months, it is very hard to, and then you present them the facts, that actually makes them more defensive, right? Because they, they, they already believe the thing that isn't true. So when you say, oh, you're wrong, then they get, and so uh, the social science suggests that, yes, you have to do inoculation. You have to do messaging always on if you really want to uh, uh, win a disinformation war. Let me ask your advice on something. So I'm uh, publishing a book on um, moving businesses from analog to digital infrastructure. It's called The Digital Pivot. So it's a business book, but yeah. there are all sorts. It's not a software manual, and there are anecdotes and stories from my experience consulting with clients and working at organizations about what works and what doesn't. And I got a note from my editor this morning, and he said, you know, you're talking all about this insurgency and you're using it as an example and you're really wearing your politics on your sleeve. And, you know, for this type of a book, for a business book, you know, you're not supposed to do that. You're opening yourself up as a target. And so now I have to make the decision, well, what's more important to me here? Right. Selling books or, you know, having a spine. So what is your, what would you, what would your advice be to me on that? Um, well, I think that, uh, well, at, at, you know, my basic feeling is that this is an important moment in time and, and we're going to remember who stood up for democracy and who stood up for the climate. And, you know, 20 years from now, uh, you know, people are going to, on the climate, it's quite clear, you know, if we don't stop the climate crisis, people are going to be bitter for decades, if not centuries. And they're going to say, what the heck were you doing? You know, but it's also going to be true in democracy because we, you know, we've learned democracy is a pretty fragile thing. And I do believe that the people who, who care about democracy have to stand up and be heard. Now, you know, I, I would just say you have to write, you can write what you want, in, in, in a way that that is as inclusive as, as possible. I don't, for instance, generally blame the victims of disinformation. You know, I, I, I try to fight it, but I'm fighting the fossil fuel industry. I'm not fighting the average person who may hold a bunch of mistaken views simply because of the media ecosystem that they're in. So I think you have to figure out how to do that um, but Fair I will point. also say that businesses are becoming more uh, mission driven 
and they understand, I'm sure you know, I mean, I have a daughter who just turned 14 uh, on February 10th, um, the day we're having this interview, and Gen Z, she is passionate about issues. And, you know, so the, the, I think the companies now understand that, they, that the Gen Zers and even the, and the millennials, they want corporations who have a, a spine. And you saw this when the major corporations, after the vote in Congress, uh, you know, and all those House Republicans and others said, we're, we're going to disenfranchise, we're going to cl claim the election, you know, we're going to disenfranchise all of those Democratic voters. And the corporation said, we're going to stop, we're not going to give you uh, campaign donations anymore, which is a very big statement. Um, now, it does, it's not every corporation, but it's still, I think it's it's the kind of message, and I think you're seeing advertising. The Super Bowl was one example of it. You're seeing a little more mission-driven, a little more advocacy. You had your Bruce Springsteen out there. You know, you had your GM at on electric cars. Um, so I think that, and, and of course, Nike. Nike had tied itself to Colin Kaepernick. So I think that, that um I think the world, the business world is changing. And I think in five years, it will be hard for businesses not to take sides. And I think more and more of them understand this. And it's certainly true on climate. It is certainly true on climate, you know, and, and I'll just finish by saying that, that Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, which has $8 trillion under investment, he put out his newsletter last month in which he said that um, he would not invest in companies that did not publicly embrace a goal of, 20, of being carbon neutral by 2050 and put out a credible plan to get there. So, you know, I think you're gonna see more and more of things like that. And, and so, you know, yes, we do. Unfortunately, there are two media ecosystems. And, you know, if you're in the one that strives for the truth, we don't always get it right. Everyone makes mistakes. New York Times, you can, you know, they issue corrections every day, um, but they're trying to get an approximation of the truth and they will correct themselves when they're wrong. And that's the difference between them and the alternate facts ecosystem, echo chamber. Joe, final question. So, and this is a hypothetical question. Uh, so there's no right or wrong answer here. Uh, but if you were a fly on the wall um, at a dinner, a private dinner between the Koch family and the Mercer family, and uh, they'd had a few drinks and no one was listening, it was private and the armor was off, and the subject came up from maybe one of the younger family members of, hey, what are you guys doing? I mean, we're not gonna have a world if you keep at this. What do you think they'd say? Well, I will tell you once I accepted an invitation to a, a dinner uh, of, of conservatives who were featuring a book that had a lot of bad information. And I guess they, I was their token, you know, uh, scientist or progressive and I, I went. And I think you would be, you would be surprised. Um, I don't, I, I think that Yes, there are some of them who know exactly what they're doing. And of course, the Koch brothers are now, you know, the Koch uh, family, they went to MIT, you know, it's it, uh, my, my alma mater. Um, do they understand that they're spreading misinformation? 
they think they're patriots and they think they, they I think a lot of more of them believe their story than, and I think you might be surprised at how many believe their story, uh, but believe their own story. I'm, you know, uh, I'm not saying they're all as far gone as Donald Trump, you know, who appears to believe almost every one of his lies, uh, even when he has to change them. But yes, I think, you know, we are talking about a tribe and we are talking about everyone is the hero of their own story. Right. That's the great lesson from How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. You know, everybody's the hero of their own story. And you always have to approach any conversation with them, understanding that you may think they're the villain, but they don't think they're a villain. They think they're a patriot. Trump thinks he's a patriot. All those House members, right, who voted, they don't think that they're traitors. Right. They think they're patriots. So all those people who defaced you know, the, the capital who, who ended up murdering. I mean, imagine what it would take to take an American flag and use it to pound a policeman. But does that person think that they're the bad guy? No, they don't think they're the bad guy. So they've developed a whole story and a whole worldview and an immediate and an information echo, echo chamber to feed that so that they can be the hero of their story. His book is How to Go Viral and Reach Millions. It's the best book I've ever read on the art and science of how to go viral and really uh, sort of an understanding of rhetoric. It really is a sort of master's class on rhetoric. Um, Joe Rom, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Eric.